Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, November 1st, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, happy belated Halloween. And, you know, I guess today, the day that this is airing, at least, is All Saints Day, which is a holiday in the UK, I feel like. But I don't even know what it really is. Are you off today on Monday? Like, is that what's going on? Not a clue. Sounds like you're way more on top of it than me. This sort of happy belated Halloween's already confused me because I didn't know it was Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what's going on on the NBA side? I know, uh, you know, we had some big stuff happening with with Wharton uh, last week. And yeah, there's just, this is that time of year. Everyone's got interviews or prepping and. Yeah. Like you say, Wharton's the big, the big news from last week in terms of um, getting a lot of interview invites out. There is still, where, where they do it all at one, in, in, in one batch, there are still plenty of schools that are rolling those interview invites out. The only school we haven't heard from, unless we heard from them on Friday, I after we record this and before it's published, is Sloan. Right. Um, so anticipate this upcoming week, if they didn't release those decisions on Friday, I would anticipate this upcoming week, Sloan will probably be releasing those decisions. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, their deadline's last of the first round, you know, so it makes sense that they're kind of late in the in the season with the interview invitations as well. Um, I guess in other news, I wanted to mention, I don't know if you saw, but we, I, I mentioned it to you, but I don't know if you read the class profile reports that we published on our website for both Chicago Booth and Stanford, you know, both schools had published their class of 23 facts and figures. And so we, um, as usual, did a little bit of breakdown on that. Um, I'll start with Booth and just share some stats. I know people like to kind of keep score on this stuff. So Booth has an average, the incoming class has an average GPA of 3.6. The GMAT score average was 732. Uh, 325 average for the GRE. Um, which is, I guess they, they revealed that that was 18% of their applicant pool submitted a GRE, 42% of the class is women, 39% international, and 20% of the U.S. Uh, students are underrepresented minorities. Uh, and now if we kind of turn over to Stanford, I thought it'd be fun to just do some comparing here. So if you look at Stanford, GPA is a 3.8, uh, GMAT 738, GRE is a 330, um, and they said 25% of their class submitted a GRE, uh, 44% women, 47% international, and 48% of the U.S. students are underrepresented minorities. So some different facts and figures from those programs. I don't know, Alex, if you have any thoughts. I, the one thing that jumped out at me was that Stanford's GMAT and GRE seem a bit more aligned. Yeah. You know, 738, 330, those are not far. If you, I mean, I know it's impossible to truly compare one test to the other, but those are pretty closely aligned. Um, whereas 730 to 325 is a little bit, the GRE, you know, would probably convert to a slightly lower than a 732 if we could convert it. So anyway, we just, this is something we keep talking about on the show, but it's interesting to see how schools are using the GRE. I mean, it's worth noting that Booth doesn't have nearly as many GRE scores, well, 18% versus 25% for Stanford. So um, just interesting stuff. I think it's super interesting. And that probably Stanford has the highest average GRE score of all top schools. I, I, didn't, I don't recollect what Harvard's average GRE score is, but, but as you point out, that 
average GRE score to, to me correlates quite closely with their G, their average GMAT score where we've seen some other top programs where the if you converted their average GRE score it would fall short of their average GMAT score. Yeah. And so, I mean, they could probably write a book on what may be going on there and how schools are using these different tests. And um, But yeah, it's interesting stuff. And I, I did, I mean, it's nice to see the international numbers are really back. I mean, 47% international at Stanford, 39% at Booth. I mean, these are, you know, there are a lot of international students. I think that, you know, those numbers took a little bit of a hit, you know, during the first phase of the pandemic. So nice to see that bouncing back. Does Stanford qualified folks living on the east coast is international i don't know how they 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 handle that yeah they must i mean um it is funny because it's really a divide although i will say i was remarking the other day to someone that people who live on the west coast in america i always notice that they they love to talk about how great it is you know whereas you meet some people on the east coast they're not usually like oh my gosh you got to come live out here you know it's not it's just not in the vocabulary so i always find that interesting um but in any event <laughs> did you ever live on the west coast or you were always on the east coast always on the east coast i was invited to interview at stanford for a job oh wow but i turned down the interview okay yeah <laughs> that was a long time ago but yeah. it was a yeah it was a terrific um um, experience to be invited there. And I was actually at the time doing a doing an event for Wharton. So I spent some time on the Stanford campus to see how I would feel about that. Behind enemy lines. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, it'd be very good. <laughs> cool. Uh, we digress a little bit, but um, the last thing I wanted to mention on the website is we just published Real Humans, uh, the, you know, that series where we profile current students and we did them for INSEAD and Emory. So if you're interested in either of those schools, you can go read some really cool stories about current students at those programs. I did want to make a plug for our interview guides. They're $19.99 or something a piece or $20. I can't remember if it's $19.99 or $20, but it's cheap and they really do help if you're prepping for an interview. So you can get them on the clearadmit.com website. They've got all the questions schools ask, how to respond to them, you know, all kinds of thoughts and, and tips and, and things about each school's process. So check those out. Um, in other news, we ran a, a kind of bonus episode of the podcast last week where uh, it was the episode where I sat down with Eric Askins at Haas. How long was that episode, Graham? Oh man, it was like an hour long. Um, <laughs> and, and Eric, I mean, he unveiled a lot of stuff, which I know we talked a little bit about last week, but definitely if you're applying to Berkeley and you don't listen to that podcast, then you probably, um, you're just going to be at a disadvantage. Like it's a great episode. He yeah, he reveals a lot of interesting things about how they review files and, and just a lot of good tidbits about life at, at Haas. So um, very cool stuff. And what else is going on? We've got our uh, deferred enrollment event coming up on November 10th, so a little more than a week from now. And we've got Berkeley, Wharton, Columbia, Booth, and Tepper all taking part in that. So if you know an undergraduate who's like chomping at the bit to get into business school while they're a senior in college so that they can go off and take risks and do all kinds of fun stuff with their career pre-MBA because they know they have an admit in hand, then send them to our event. We're going to sit down with all these schools and um, yeah, just get a lot of insight into how one goes about considering one of these programs and how they work, how the admissions process works, et cetera. So, hey, hey, Graham, I, I know this is completely off topic, but sometimes <laughs> we've got to be off topic. But yeah, but the, the music charts in the UK today, albums, right? Mm -hmm. First album, second album in the charts. Elton John, right? Mm -hmm. Follow, followed by 
and and I forget what the name of the band is, but a 1980s band. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's. You, you, uh, you should do a comeback, Graham. You'd be like way in the future. Yeah, I feel like you need a time machine to get those kind of charts that you've just talked about, Elton John. What is it like, Duran Duran or somebody's come back? Yes, the record? that's it. Sorry, Duran Duran. Yes, <laughs> that was a shot in the dark. But I don't know why. When I think of the UK in the 80s, I kind of think of those guys. Um, yeah, it's very strange. But you know, people we're in an era of like nostalgia. You know, so I feel like that's uh, you know all these reboots of TV shows, et cetera. So that's kind of what we're doing now, I guess. Very good. Um, I did, I did want to say that we got, not only did we get a bunch of people rating our podcast and getting us over the, I guess we now have like 107 ratings of the podcast, but we ended up, um, reeling in a couple of reviews last week. And I just wanted to, you know, thank the folks who, uh, submitted those reviews. Um, we got one from someone named Conjon. And they said, expert advice to get your admissions journey started. I've been listening to Clear Admit for about two months now and have probably binged about 40 episodes at this point, um, 120 plus wiretap candidates. <laughs> Graham and Alex's advice on the candidates they review, as well as Graham's comments on my ApplyWire entry, have helped me form a phenomenal foundation from which I've been able to feel confident about how I craft my own story. Thanks for the insight you guys provide, and I'm glad to help you guys get over that 100th rating mark. Um, and then we got another one from JD71047. I don't know if he's like a secret agent, but or she is a secret agent. Um, but that one just is titled A Must for MBA Admissions. And it just says, a must listen for those considering an MBA. Alex and Graham dive into recent MBA admissions news, discuss listener questions, and evaluate listeners' profiles to give deep insight and advice on how admissions committees will evaluate MBA hopefuls. If you or anyone in your life is somewhere in the process of an MBA application, do not miss this weekly podcast. Happy 100th review. So, um, so anyway, that, that was um, really great to see a little flurry of activity. And yeah, just love to hear from our listeners. So appreciate that. Oh, fantastic. So I know you're probably wondering why we haven't gotten into the wiretaps portion. <laughs> so let's, um, as you like to say, let's move on and get into this. Uh, yeah, you picked out some cool candidacies with some interesting conundrums. So uh, without further ado, I guess we should get started. Let's do it. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. This is a, a current applicant who wants to start uh, next fall. They've got eight schools on their target list, and those schools are Tuck, Duke, LBS, Michigan, Kellogg, UCLA Anderson, uh, USC, and UT Austin. Um, and they have been working in kind of engineering and operations. They'd love post-MBA to get into consulting or consumer goods. And the companies on their target list are Accenture, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey. They have a GMAT score of 700, and they've got a 3.34 GPA with four and a half years of work experience. They're located in the Midwest, and they don't really um, have a strong preference about where they land post-MBA. Uh, they did leave us a note. They said, first off, love the podcast. It's been a great insight into the MBA world from someone who isn't surrounded by the culture and it's inspiring to hear about the incredible people in the same boat that I'm in. <laughs> so um, very cool stuff. I did want to mention they are an engineering major, and I'm going to probably get this wrong, but I think they were, um, they're really active in baseball, and they attended a top engineering program where they studied chemical engineering, but also biomolecular 
engineering. So that 3.34 sounds pretty hard earned. I just want to put that out there. Um, but Alex, there were a couple of issues with this candidacy and I wondered if you might walk us through what those are. Yeah, I mean, I think this can potentially be a very strong candidate. Um, but, but there are a couple of sort of outliers in terms of, or at least what I could sort of interpret from, from what we, um, from, from what they provided on, on, on ApplyWire. Um, as you say, the 334 GPA, on, if, you, if you see a GPA in isolation, it's 334, you're like, well, that's below average, that's a bit of a problem. But then you recognise, well, it's a chemical engineering and biomolecular, whatever that is, um, degree. <laughs> so that's going to be a super hard degree. Yeah. Um, so I think you get a pass for a 334. And, and then also, especially, I, it sounds like they were, they were an athlete during, during college and um, baseball. I think baseball's being athletic, right, Graham? Uh, you, you know more <laughs> oh, no. about that. that I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah. yeah, it seems to me like their undergraduates are actually strong despite that number. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned about their, their, their GMAT 700 total score is certainly within range. Again, it's going to be below average of the top schools. The, 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 the odd aspect of the GMAT is the quant score is, is, is sort of lower. You would think uh, uh, someone who's an engineer coming from a chemical engineering background, that the, the quant side of their, 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 their standardized testing should be super strong. That I think they're going to go back and retake the test, and I really encourage them to, 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 to do that. And if they can come back with that sort of 720, 730 GMAT score with, with a solid quant score, along with a very good verbal score, which they currently have, that will be very good. Now, you know, at the end of the day, their, their, their potential pushback is, well, surely all, my, all, all, all the, the academic work I did in engineering and math and calculus and whatever else should prove that I have the analytical wherewithal. And, and yeah, you, 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 you might be, you, you're probably right. But my pushback to that is you're demonstrating to me that you can do better on that quant score in the GMAT. So go and do better. Yeah, I, I really get a little queasy when someone puts together their overall profile, their candidacy, and they have a weaker spot that they know that they could have um, strengthened. So, 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 so be proactive, get it taken care of and strengthening it. Now, a couple of other things. Um, they're potentially weaker on the extracurricular activity. I know you're going to talk about that in, in, in a little bit. Um, that may or may not be a problem. I do think probably their work experience is going to be strong in terms of what it's going to reveal, their impact and so on and so forth. So that's very good. I want to hear more in terms of their narrative to their goals because they basically just say, you know, kind of interested in consumer goods, consulting or, or, or management or whatever it might be. So where does that interest come from um, and so on and so forth? Currently, they're in sort of medical devices and so on and so forth. So, so just getting a better sense of this goal tra trajectory will be important for them to articulate um, in their MBA applications. Anyway, Graham, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> no, I think um, you make a lot of really good points. And I'll just add that we didn't get into the career stuff much, but they've been working in an operations role, you know, first at a Fortune 500 for a handful of years, and then they moved on to work at a Fortune 100, uh, now a medical devices firm. So I think, you know, they, they did provide some details that look impressive. So I agree with you. Work experience is solid and, and you know, somewhat differentiated and interesting. 
The current extracurriculars, um, I did want to speak to that because you pointed it out as a potential weakness. You know, they don't really have anything or they say they don't have anything. I never really believe anyone who says they don't have any outside activities because I think sometimes people get into the trap of too narrowly defining their outside interests. You know, um, it could be that this person, I don't know, um, goes running three times a week or goes out for a, a bike ride, you know, regularly with a group of um, fellow cyclists or, you know, maybe they're like really passionate about cooking or, you know, people have outside interests and sometimes you can craft some of those interests into um, downright activities, you know, and, and, you know, th there's a fine line between hobby and activity, I guess, but sometimes it doesn't take much to sort of bring what you're doing with your spare time into a little bit more of a framework so that you can use it in your applications. And schools are genuinely interested in everything. If you're like a um, amateur photographer and you're really into that, that matters because that might mean you want to take some pictures for the school website or school newspaper. So there are all kinds of things that people do that could lend themselves to involvement on campus. And remember, that's part of the reason why schools ask about this. So I would encourage this candidate to think about what they're doing when they're not at work. Um, ideally, it's, you know, that there's something that they're interested in that they could at least point to. Um, maybe they're a fanatical baseball fan, given that they played baseball, were the baseball treasurer for the team throughout university. And so maybe they do like a lot of, um, they're really into the statistics and, and the kind of fantasy league baseball stuff, or I don't know, but there must be something out there that they could potentially. But, but wouldn't you argue, Graham, I mean, we'll take your baseball example, because yep. I know you probably threw that in there just to irritate me. But <laughs> rather than being just a fanatical baseball fan who's a nerd about all the statistics and so on and so forth, Forth. Wouldn't you rather the candidate be a fanatical baseball fan who organizes trips for other fans to then participate in something? Like, yes. And I take the example actually back to your experience. Your, you, you could make really good arguments in, in your candidacy, in your profile about music, right? So, so mm -hmm. strong music background and so on and so forth. But you also, you, you, you were part of a band and you did tours and you would organize that stuff. So, so these outside interests and hobbies, I agree, can be a great platform. But I also think it could be a great platform because, and you can notch it up a level if you're actually doing a lot of that sort of leadership and organization within that hobby and that interest. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And so, like, obviously, if this person were, you know, volunteering with a rookie league baseball thing in, in the inner city or, you know, yeah. helping in some way to spread that passion. And it could even be like organizing, you know, annual ballpark trips for, you know, people that, that you know, that are also really into it. Or But, but there's got to be something. I agree with you. The more substance to it, the better off they're going to be. Um, and then the only other thing I, I just want to echo, I do agree that the GMAT score, which... I got to look this up, but I think I had noted down somewhere that, yeah, it was like a 56th percentile on the quantitative portion of the exam and then almost a perfect score on the verbal. And so they end up with a 700, but you're left wondering, like you said, you know, how could someone with such a quantitative background not, you know, do a little bit better? So I suspect that if they buckle down and take it again, they'll get a better score and they may wind up, you know, really moving the, the, um, the needle. Uh, on that score, since they're already kind of maxing out the verbal, if they just get a handful more points on the math, they could really skyrocket their score. So we we will see. But again, good candidacy. I wish them the best of luck as they retake the test. And, you know, they're going to get a bunch of apps in in round two. 
they have a lot of schools on their list. So, you know, they probably need to narrow that a bit. Um, and it sounds like they're in the process of, of doing that, but, um, really interesting profile. And I think they're going to find success. I just, I would love for them to come in with a slightly better quantitative performance on the test. Do you think they're aiming high enough? Well, you know, I would say it depends on the test, right? I mean, if they if they were to apply with these current statistics, I would say, yeah, they're aiming high enough. Um, if they were somehow to end up with like a, you know, something that's above the average at the top scores, at the top schools, <laughs> um, then, you know, maybe they could aim a little higher um, and throw in an M7 or two. I mean, they've got Kellogg on the list. I believe that's the only M7 school. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they got Ke- Kellogg in there. But if they came back, let's say that... Uh, we're talking 730 GMAT, 334 GPA from a strong engineering program as a baseball um, player and whatever. Really good work experience. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm basing all this analysis on on being able to show and demonstrate great impact at work as well as um, progression and so on and so forth, which I think that's going to be the case. Yeah. Really do a good job articulating the goal focus and so on and so forth. Um, I... I and maybe the the EC side of it is slightly l- less, right? Which, yeah. which I think is probably going to be the case, quite frankly. I do still think this person could belong in, in an M7. So if you're only targeting one M7, you're running the risk that you targeted the wrong one. Like you want to spread your risk. If you target two or three of that, at that level, you might hit with one of them, right? If you only target one of them, you might miss completely. Yeah, totally agree. I thought Kellogg was calling to complain about that comment, but now I understand what you mean. You're just saying that, you know, you might as well get a couple of schools within each tier because yes. you never, you could always have, I mean, there is some randomness in this process, right? So um, absolutely agree. Yeah. I think um, it's tricky because they're going to go out and take the test. And by then, I don't know what their timeline is, but they've got to get working on the apps. But I, I agree. They might want to look at another top school and, you know, they have this operations focus and they might continue to do operational kind of related consulting. So, you know, th- there's some schools that are quite strong in that domain, namely, you know, the Whartons and MITs of the world. So something to think about for sure. Yeah. All right, let's move on though. Thanks for that post. We appreciate that person sharing. Hopefully they're tuned in and and have gotten the advice we're sharing. Uh, Let's move on though and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry, um, although this person is not wanting to go to school until next fall, or well, I guess they're going to apply next fall and go in the fall of 23. So they're a bit of an early bird, right? Sorry, they are applying this season. Yeah. Ah, they are. Okay. All right. Then they just put the wrong date in there in their thing. Um, all right. So they're the schools on their list. They have five schools, and they are Babson, Duke, MIT, Stanford, USC. Um, so that's the list, and they're currently working as an engineer. Um, they've actually been working for ten years um, as an engineer with uh, Mercedes Benz uh, R and D. Okay, so um, a lengthy career. Um, with that said, they are only 30 years old. So I believe that they probably graduated, um, they might have done a short form degree or, or graduated quickly, um, or maybe even skipped a year when they were younger. But you know, typically someone with 10 years of experience might be like 32 or, or even older. So um, not as old as you might imagine. Um, Post MBA, they'd love to work in um, you know, auto, aerospace, or, you know, they have some entrepreneurial ideas in that domain. Um, their GPA for undergrad was a 3.6. This candidate is located in India. Um, uh, the candidate is female. Um, and, you know, she just notes that she recently completed her 10th year um, at, you know, in R&D at Mercedes. And she's really thinking about 
starting her own company um, in the automotive space, I believe. She's got eight patents to her name and, and, and just a long list of impressive accomplishments. I mean, I was really um, pretty impressed at the amount of money she saved the firm and the amount of money that she's kind of managing and, you know, in terms of like what's, you know, um, yeah, what, what's under her purview. It just, it's pretty impressive. And then she has a bunch of outside activities too from undergrad and, and even currently. So she has yet to take the GRE and she's forecasting a score somewhere in the 320 to 325 range. Um, but Alex, we talked about this candidate a bit before we came on air because she brings up a lot of potential, um, you know, kind of admissions conundrums, like around, yeah. you know, an older candidate, what sort of programs right, someone who wants to be an entrepreneur, um, you know, what about the GRE score that she's forecasting and her school selection? So I'll, I'll kind of turn it over to you, but what do you think of her? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, Graham, as, as we mentioned before we, we've started to record this podcast, this person's experience, I think, is outstanding. I think she's what I would qualify as a pathbreaker. Um, you know, she's sort of followed a, a path going forward. She's got the most patents for a female engineer and so on. I mean, it just seems like absolutely fantastic um, in terms of what she's described. Um, so I would think that, um, again, we've talked about this before in, on the podcast, Graham, that if she does a really good job articulating a candidacy, she will be the sort of candidate that ADCOM will root for and want to bring into the programme. But there are some, some issues here that I think she's going to need to address. One is, quite frankly, and, and I might be wrong here, but I think it's been a recent decision to apply to MBA programs. So I think she's at this, at this stage still a bit naive about the whole process. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of revealed maybe in the selection of schools she's looking at also, should she do a master's from MIT, like a one-year engineering management master's versus a two-year MBA and so on and so forth. She, she hasn't really gone down the path of sorting that out, nor has she yet taken the GRE and she's predicting a score between 320 and 325. She said she's basically a poor standardized test taker and so on and so forth. So that all said, she's really going to be up against it to put her best um, candidacy forward by those January dates. But if she can do that, I come back with a reasonable GRE score, if it can be in that sort of 325 to, to 327 bracket instead of 320 to 322, that would be good. Um, she, Like you say, her, her ECs look really good. Her, I, I'm just blown away by her experience and, and what she's been able to accomplish. Um, then I think you're looking at a candidate that possibly could be um, clear the M7 type quality. Um, and she she has um, Sloan and, and Stanford um, as, as schools she's targeting. So so they may be within reach. Stanford's a lottery for anybody. So I only really count that as one M7 <laughs> that she's looking at at this point. Um, but maybe she could add, like, like you know, I worked at Wharton, you were at Wharton. I could see her at a place like Wharton if she gets all the ducks in a row. Um, but as we talked about before, I do think a two-year MBA experience is the right path for this candidate rather than she's got lots of experience, so therefore she should only go for a one-year experience. That I don't think that um, plays out here, Graham, because she wants to become an entrepreneur. She has a bunch of um, business skills that she needs to develop and so on and so forth in order to make that transition. 
Um, so I think the full experience would, would absolutely benefit her, Graham. Yeah, this is, to me, a, a real interesting case because she was on this path, um, you know, 10 years of accolades at Mercedes, and she's on this very, um, you know, kind of traditional engineering type path. And I think she's clearly um, demonstrated some aptitude in, you know, management and strategy, and and, and she has some entrepreneurial um, instincts and, you know, she's already done a bunch of patents. So she has a lot of ideas. And so I think she needs, you know, in her case, she wants the MBA to make a big career transition. Um, and I always would argue two years is better than one when you're trying to do anything, um, you know, extreme in terms of, you know, pivoting your career. And I also just think, yeah, she, it's not, you know, it's not like she's 35, she's 30. That's not going to be so much of an outlier, um, in this process. So I would agree with you. Two years is key for transition from tech to business, um, from kind of an engineering role to business. I also think that her current school spread, um, it feels like extremists, you, you know, it, it's, it's, um, she's got like Stanford, like you said, and MIT, which are two schools that are terrific. Um, they both have pretty low acceptance rates, uh, particularly Stanford. And then on the other end, she's has Babson. And I think, you know, obviously we don't have a GRE score yet. And I know Babson's very noted for entrepreneurship. But I, I could not agree more with you that I, I you know, there's got to be a middle ground in there somewhere. And I know she has a couple other schools on the list, but it just, um, you know, whether it's a Chicago or a Wharton or, a, you know, a program that, um, you know, obviously one of the benefits of being like in the Midwest is that proximity to the automotive sector. Um, you could say the same for, um, you know, well, you used to be able to say, say for California with Tesla, but they're now in Texas. So um, in any event, I'm just wondering if she's got the right list of schools um, because she should go to a top program. I'm really rooting for her with the GRE because that could really be um, an important signaling, you know, mechanism given that she is so far removed from those undergraduate marks, right? I mean, she is 10 years out. And so, um, you know, a good GRE score would signal high academic aptitude and, and just would kind of, you know, put a nice bow on the rest of the candidacy. I don't think we mentioned it, but she's like a state level athlete and, you know, works with an NGO. I mean, she has kind of the full package. She's not a baseball player, is she, Graham? No, no. I mean, she didn't <laughs> specify. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I don't know. I like this candidacy. Yeah. I think she needs to do a good job on the GRE and maybe reassess the school list. I did wonder, like, she should be probably assessing the list for both entrepreneurial, um, you know, kind of strengths and maybe auto uh, aerospace sector placements. And because you never know, like she might have an idea, but still need to kind of put it together and, and may want to go work at a different automotive company or aerospace company in the near term and yeah, then yeah. you know launch her thing. So, so Kel Kellogg, Ross, schools like that might be worth looking at. Yeah, could be good. Yeah. I know we, we, we're spending a lot of time on this podcast, but I do have one more question for you, Graham. Um, Babson, absolutely. It's reputation is all about entrepreneurship, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. so, so, so you can justify Babson certainly being on her list. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to go to the very best program you can get into. Um, that's not necessarily specific, you know, it's a specialist entrepreneurship type program, yeah. but, but is sort of more general management, just very, i.e., you know, you Harvard, you Stanford, and then Wharton, and then the, the M7 and so on and so forth. Where do you sit in that debate? No, I agree because so much of entrepreneurship is network and fundraising and, yeah, I mean, I think you want to go and get the best possible education and access to a big network. Yeah. Um, and so that that's where these, you know, M7 programs come in. And, and that's why I think, you know, um, 
or even top 16. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. those are all, they're all great, great programs. And so I think that's where the difference is. Um, obviously, academically, we might argue, yeah, that the curriculum maybe has a bit more um, entrepreneurial study at a place like Babson. But, you know, and it's a good program, but I just think she needs to aim as high as possible. That's my point. Yeah. Yep. So I agree with you. Um, let's move on because you're right. We are. We're running a little behind schedule today. <laughs> uh, but let's get to Wiretap's candidate number three. And we can be quick on this one, I think. <laughs> we shall see. Oh, so boy. this <laughs> this candidate um, is another ApplyWire entry. Um, again, sounds like they have targeted um, 23 for a start date. They've been working in energy and the schools on their target list, actually, I should start with that. They have 10 schools. They've got Berkeley, Dartmouth, uh, Duke, INSEAD, LBS, MIT Sloan, Kellogg, Chicago, Wharton, and Yale. So a very long list. And they'd love to get into consulting after business school, and they name a bunch of companies, some of the usual suspects, like AT Kearney, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey, and PwC. They have a whopping 740 on the GMAT, and a pretty stellar 3.8 GPA. They've been working for four years, and they're located in Canada, which is also where they did their undergraduate degree. Um, Post-MBA, though, they want to end up in Southeast Asia, which I believe um, you mentioned to me that they, they're originally from, you know, their nationality, they indicate, is from Southeast Asia. So um, they also shared that they worked for this four years of work experience they've done at a Canadian oil and gas company um, through a kind of, um, they use a, uh, an acronym that I'm not familiar with, but it's some sort of leadership development program. Um, and so, you know, interesting work experience. They indicate that their extracurriculars are not outstanding. Um, and, you know, they did a bunch of internships when they were in undergrad. But Alex, we've talked a lot on the podcast over the years about Canada and, you know, GPAs and how there's no grade inflation in Canada. Um, so, yeah, what do you make of this candidacy? Because that 3.8 jumped out at me as coming from a good school in Canada, they mentioned, and still being pretty high. Yeah, I mean, th- this is you know, a, a very typical candidate that's super smart yeah. and likely has done well at work, i.e. I, this sort of four years in this leadership development program. Um, so checks all the boxes. The key to me is what what sort of differentiates you? What what What, what is it that that I'm going to enjoy sort of when I sit down and have a beer with you and, 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 and so on and so forth, what are we going to be talking about and stuff. Just make sure there's another element of your candidacy that helps you um, stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm being a little bit harsh here. I think if, if, if clearly they're all about their work and they're, they're super smart and, and they work well, they're probably going to very easily get into a top 16 program, mm-hmm. um, given their credentials, their counting stats, whatever you call them, and so <laughs> on and so forth. I think absolutely top 16, not a problem. So the question is, to qualify to that M7, and they want to go into MMV, uh, you know, consulting or whatever. So we know the better the program you get into, the more access you will get to top-tier consulting firms. That's absolutely um, in you know that we know that right, so they need to get into the best program that they can get into to execute on their goals. Um, for them personally, that might actually be INSEAD in Singapore. But but um, but but my point is, what sort of differentiates this candidacy? So I hope there's something, and they're they're applying next season. 
So they've asked, what you know, what can I do between now and next season to sort of strengthen my candidacy? So, so that, so that's what I would focus on. Yeah. Go after really, you know, projects at work now that'll really super challenge you, and get you out of your comfort zone, and and create new opportunities for your work. But also, if your ECs are a bit ho hum, and I think they self declared that, then what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Surely you have some passion, some interest outside of work that you can um, do do something in that area now. Now, some, some folks will tell you, well, don't just do stuff like that to get into an MBA program. And I completely agree with that. And Adcom will sniff that out, yeah. you know, as, 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 as simple as thing. But we're all passionate about something. So do something about which you're passionate. And therefore, you can articulate that much more whatever, appropriately, in your MBA admissions um, essays and so yeah. on and so forth. So everyone's passionate about something, so what is it? And I would also argue that if you are going to try to bolster an extracurricular profile or outside activities profile, um, which is dangerous if you're right before you apply or whatever, I think the best way to do it is to pick up on something that you've historically been involved with that maybe has gone dormant, like maybe something you were really involved with when you were an undergraduate, and you can kind of rekindle that passion or that involvement, and it feels more rational. And so it's less of a kind of red flag of, oh, this this weird activity that this person never has done before is suddenly showing up on their profile six months before they <laughs> apply to business school. So I think it's easier if you're just, um, yeah, kind of um, bringing back something that you've historically been involved with. The thing for me about this candidate, and I could not agree with you more, they have the stats, the basic ingredients to get into top schools. But the thing for me that struck me was that They've been in this interesting, um, you know, oil and gas kind of leadership development program. They've done well. Uh, even before that, they worked with the government of Canada as an intern, and they also worked with a Canadian energy company as an intern. So they have this kind of background that potentially intersects with the domain of energy and government and um, all those things. And I, I just wondered, like, wow, you know, if they could flesh out their goals so that it's not just, yeah, I just want to do strategy consulting with McKinsey, Bain, or BCG, which, you know, is that's about half the applicant pool. <laughs> um, it, it would be good to hear, I don't know, is, is there a path into consulting, but that does allow them to draw upon their current background and strengths? You know, maybe they want to do consulting in the renewables domain with one of these big consulting firms, or maybe they want to do oil and gas consulting. Like that, that would be fine too. But I'm just, I was hoping that something would come to the fore that would allow them to differentiate a little bit so that they don't seem like they're running in the other direction from their energy background, but rather, you know, trying to benefit from that background and experience. So that's, you know, that's my take. The only other thing I wanted to add on this candidate is they were kind of asking for guidance about where to apply. And, you know, given that they want to land in Southeast Asia, um, they even mentioned Singapore, I guess, or something. Um, and so, you know, for me, I made a little quick list here and, you know, this is just purely based on size of network and, um, you know, the ability to kind of get into that market post MBA. And so I came up with, you know, yeah, INSEAD, obviously they have a campus in Singapore, um, LBS, Wharton, uh, Kellogg, Yale. These are all schools that are on this candidate's target list. I would also add, um, and they might be shocked by this, but I would add HBS. I mean, they don't have them on the list. Um, maybe they don't think they're going to be competitive enough, or maybe they're not into the case method, or there could be any number of reasons, but that's another program with a really broad network that could be useful if they're looking to, you know, make the transition back to Southeast Asia. Um, but I'll stop there, Alex. Any any other thoughts on this one? I mean, I think it's, you know, they have a lot to be um, 
proud of in yes. terms of what they've accomplished, and they then they have a lot of time to work on this. Yeah. So they're they're in good shape. There's no doubt they've got a lot going for them. They, there are things that they can do potentially over the next six months to, to, to you know, tweak and strengthen their candidacy. But their, their basic stats are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, agreed. So, um, Alex, thanks as always for making some time to pick these out and then to jump on the line and record our, our weekly episode of Wiretaps. Um, I did want to mention, we forgot to say this, but we're going to record a special episode of, of uh, the podcast all about the Wharton uh, team-based discussion, um, which should come out uh, within the week. So stay tuned for that. We love breaking down the team-based discussion each year and you know, just giving people advice on how to approach what is a rather unorthodox uh, interview style so <laughs> or interview exercise. So um, stay tuned for that, everyone who's kind of looking at Wharton and, and worried about how to, how to navigate that process. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe. All right. We'll see you soon.